Um, Soundcheck, what did you have for breakfast this morning? For breakfast this morning, I had a fruit bowl because I eat only fruit in the morning and then I don't eat it the rest of the day. Does that fill you up enough? I always, they never get filled up. Shockingly, it does. So it's this new thing I started doing during quarantine food combining. The main thing is you eat fruit in the morning. So you eat it alone or you leave it alone. There are certain foods that break down together. (gasps) This is fascinating. Yeah. I'm looking this up. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We are here to learn the skills we can use to intentionally create the life we want to live. Within these conversations lie all sorts of lessons learned, epiphany moments, and techniques to navigate the messiness of life, as shared with us by the people living through it. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Claire Sellers. She's a daughter, sister, life, and leadership coach who helps people go from where they are now to where they want to be in their careers, relationships, and other parts of life. And I don't know if it was six years ago, five years ago, Claire, but a couple years ago, at least, you had a thriving corporate career. You're living in New York, good salary, great team, great job title, nice apartment, But as you put it, you feel miserable, doomed, and lost at this point in your life. And then you don't really know what to do about it. And to me, it's a seemingly obvious question, but I'm really curious what seems to be having everything, or you seem to have achieved what we're all going for, right? Everything. Why did you feel lost? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And, you know, I my whole career, all I wanted was, you know, to make six figures and to, and to have a luxury apartment with a dishwasher. That was like, if I get that, I will be happy and I won't want for anything else. And then I got there and I was just like, well, this, this isn't what I wanted. You know, this, this feels so empty. I don't feel like I'm making an impact. I don't feel like I have autonomy over my, my life. And I think that's really what was missing is that I didn't feel like I was making the scale of impact that I wanted to make. And I felt like I was living to execute somebody else's vision and not my own. What does autonomy over your life look like to you? Like when you Mm. got to that point, you realize I don't have it. What was it supposed to be? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a great question. I think that for me, I wanted to it was working for myself. It was having, making my own schedule. Um, it was traveling whenever I wanted. It was taking quote vacation whenever I wanted. And it was knowing that at the end of the day, my time was my own and nobody else's. Freedom of time. I think I've heard that called, right? Like the financial freedom and then there's time freedom. Uh, mm-hmm. Or at least, and I'm very interested in that too. I feel like, I mean, I hear this all the time. I'm sure you do too. Like time is the one resource we can't get back. And yeah. I'm so surprised so many of us are actually shooting for financial freedom first. And then it's like almost an afterthought of, wait a second, maybe I want more time than anything. No, that's so true. And I think, yeah, you're right. We all shoot for financial freedom. And then I think 
a lot of us sacrifice our freedom of time to get to that financial freedom. And then you end up just being miserable once you've achieved the financial freedom. And you're like, well, I don't even want the money. And that's kind of how I was. I was just like, the money isn't giving me anything. It's not giving, it's giving me the dishwasher, but like, I'll wash my own dishes. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how our, how that leveling up like changes for us, right? Like you, I know, like I had the same thing. It's like, I want to get a six figure salary and then the dishwasher, whatever you get that. And then you're like, oh, well, okay. now I have that. And maybe that's Mm -hmm. not everything it was meant to be. Is that, are you someone, I think, I don't know if I suffer from this, but I feel like I'm always going after the next thing. Yeah. And like, it might just be a part of who I am and the person next door might be different. Are you someone that's always going after the next thing? Yes. And I call it the more, better, faster syndrome. Oh, I haven't heard that. The more, better, faster. I, I like that. I think I invented it. <laughs> MBF. Yeah. Ooh, an acronym. I love it. Um, yeah. So I, I will say that I have that and I'm also incredibly aware of it now. And it's something that I'm working on every single day because I think it's, it's honestly one of the greatest thieves of true joy and peace. Because when you are constantly in that, like more, better, faster, you can't even like be where you are. And so you're never actually like enjoying what's in front of you. You're never satisfied with, with where you are in your life or your relationships or your career or your bank account. And so you're in constant striving mode and I think that's why a lot of people are so exhausted all the time because it's like you're you're spending your time stressing about like what happened yesterday or last week or last year. And yeah. at the same time, you're freaking out about, oh, my God, I have so much to do. How am I going to get there? This person just got a raise. Like this person just got a promotion. How am I ever going to get to where they are? How am I ever going to you know get X by X time? And so your energy is leaking from behind you and in front of you, and you're not even in the present moment. And I think that's why, especially in corporate, people are so exhausted. I found that time for me has helped. I share, I resonate with this so much, by the way. And I Mm -hmm. found that time, just simply getting older, helped with this. But other than getting older, since we don't really have control over that, we have to wait for that. What ways have you found to like, minimize the impacts of what I'm now calling MBF. <laughs> MBF, <laughs> on, I love yeah. it. What what have you done to like minimize that almost stealing of the present that MBF does? <laughs> MBF, oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> um well, I mean, it is a like I said, it is a daily practice and I know that it will be a daily lifelong practice for me. I mean, it's one of my Achilles heels. Um I only have a few. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think for me, it's the biggest thing has been slowing down. And I used to have this uh, belief that I was either a thousand miles an hour and just like totally running on empty, exhausted, go, go, go. Or I was like a sloth on the beach. Mm. There was no in between. And it was like, I was either in full MBF mode or I was literally just like a useless waste of space. And so for me, and it's really been over the last year, my work has been finding like that beautiful, beautiful middle where it's like I'm challenged and I'm uh, moving forward and, you know, I'm clear on my vision and I have intention 
Yet at the same time, I'm like relaxed in the way that I'm moving through my day is with ease. And so I think slowing down has been one of the biggest pieces. And honestly, to do that, I had to like force myself to slow down. So like I took a social media detox. Um, I took a lot of vacations where I just didn't work for, you know, a week at a time. Um, so I think slowing down has been, has been probably the biggest, biggest thing. And then I think the other thing is asking myself two questions and one question, and I have this question on my phone background, if anyone wants to borrow this idea, but I ask myself the question, what's present for me right now? And I keep that on my phone so that I remember to ask myself that question And now I started that practice probably six to eight months ago. And now I'm constantly asking myself, what's present for me right now? Am I anxious? Okay, why am I anxious? Am I sad? Okay, why am I sad? So just tuning into the present because we're so, our minds are so trained to live in the past and the future that we have to retrain ourselves to nope, come back here, come back now, because that's where, that's where the peace is. That's where the energy is. That's where the flow is. And so when you're living from that place, you can really operate at a different level. And the other question I asked myself, and I have a post-it for this one on my wall is what's the easiest way? Oh, I like that. So like, what's the easiest way? for this situation to be, or for me to be with myself right now, just like, what's the easiest way? Cause we love to complicate things. Like, you know, I always say like, just because we're good at solving complicated problems doesn't mean that everything is a complicated problem. So just asking yourself, what's the easiest way. And that's been really, really huge for me because I just, I complicate things. We all do. That's such a great question. That first question too, I see a little bit of like emotional awareness in there and self-awareness of like being aware of your emotions and taking the time to address them, to understand them, to understand why you're feeling them. That's such a powerful behavior. Have you, that's something I think personally I've adopted maybe in the past 24 months. Is that something that you always were able to identify with yourself or is that more recent where you're able to kind of tap into these emotions? No. Very, very, well, I shouldn't say very, I would say in the last, uh, really since I, I started my, my journey of transformation probably three years ago. Um, but you know, when I was, I was in corporate working in New York, I was, I mean, I don't think I knew what the present moment was because I was always freaking out about what had just happened and freaking out about the million things I felt like I had to do. So it's a, it's a new practice for me. And in the last year, I've gone deeper with it. And in the last six months, I've gone even deeper with it, um, bringing in like embodiment and, and breathing. So actually asking like, okay, where do I feel the anxiety in my body? And then breathing, I think is so key. Yeah, this mind-body connection is something I've thought so much about lately that just the other day something happened and I my body... I don't remember what happened, but I remember my stomach felt different. And I thought to myself, this is your body's physical reaction to something you're feeling. Like it's a real thing. Your body and your mind are not detached. And I, I've become more aware of that. But I remember in the moment thinking, 
this is just so amazing. Like our bodies are fascinating in that sense. Yeah. I mean, the mind body connection. Yeah, no, it's crazy. You know, it's like when you, um, like if you see something or, you know, a song comes on and it like triggers some type of emotion, you kind of get that yeah. like knot in your throat, you know, like that's information. And so like, what is that telling you? So I think a lot of it is giving yourself the space, slowing down enough so that you can actually be attuned to those things that are happening in your body. So when you left your corporate job, you realized no one's keeping score of how many hours you work. No one's keeping score of how many emails you're answering, how many lunches you're eating at your desk. Like, it sounds like you, you kind of come to this realization of like, why am I in this rat race almost? W mm -hmm. What did that realization feel like? Like, uh, I imagine I'm picturing like just a weight being lifted off your shoulders. Like, I don't <laughs> need to worry about any of this anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> is that too I Hollywood? <laughs> well, it, well, it's not too Hollywood, but you know, <laughs> to be honest, I was kind of like, and I feel like people will relate to this. I would love to say it was like, "Woo, I'm free!" Like life is yeah. amazing, <laughs> and there, there was, there were certainly moments of that. Um, but there was also like, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do now?" You know, and there was. It was the the MBF. It was like, okay, like I need to start my own company. You know, it was like all these things that Panic kind almost. of, yeah, it was like, I almost replaced the corporate hustle with the entrepreneurial hustle. And it's because that was the way that I knew, you know? And so I think for me in the last year and a half, it's really been like redefining how I want to operate in work and in business. Because I think for a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and and a, and a lot of people in corporate as well, you know, it's it's kind of like we just have one speed. We just go 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 go, and you can change the job, but if you don't if you don't address why you're in that constant MPF mode, then you're just going to keep repeating that same behavior and those same patterns. So you know, I think. I had, I had moments of the weight being lifted. And I think, you know, the biggest moment of that was when I started traveling and I was actually still in my corporate job working remotely at the time. And I just, I remember I was on, it was like a Tuesday afternoon and I was on a long tail boat cruising around the Thai islands. And I was just like, I, I will never forget that moment. I just remember thinking like, this is how I want to live my life. Like, I'm going to go do some calls tonight, but like during the day, I'm literally on a boat cruising around the Thai islands, jumping on and off the boat, you know, having the time of my life surrounded by incredible, inspiring people. Like, and so those moments were kind of the sandbags being taken away, but there was always, always the notion of like, okay, what's next, you know? That all that old question, what's next? Yeah. It just haunts us. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that that hustle. I love how you said you went from the corporate hustle to the entrepreneurial hustle. I think so many people end up in that that kind of path. Were your parents, did they start their own companies? Were they entrepreneurs? Yes, yes. So both of my parents were entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, my mom especially she um, was very, very successful. And I think that I 
I really developed my MBF syndrome from, you know, watching her just kill it. You know, I mean, she was just a powerhouse and it, you know, watching her, you know, off to work at 7am coming home at 8pm, like she was at every, you know, play or, you know, thing I had at school, like she was everywhere all at once. She had this huge, in my mind, this huge office building with like hundreds of employees. And, you know, she had like three assistants and people brought her lunch and it just became this whole romanticized thing for me where I was just like, I want to wear Chanel suits and, you know, like work in the big glass (laughs) office and like have assistants and, you know, go on business trips. Like I, that's that in my mind, I think I learned that if I could be that, then I would feel like worthy or I would feel good enough. And so I carried that with me, you know, my, my whole career essentially until I uncovered that this was a a belief that I had, you know, developed over time through watching, watching my amazing mother just be this powerhouse businesswoman. She does sound like an amazing person. I mean, that's as a, she is. <laughs> what a lucky, you know, having that as mom. What a lucky thing. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like because my my hunch was that I imagine watching a great role model like that. You, I, something I've learned having two children myself is, and I didn't know this before having children is how much we learn from our parents, mm. whether the parents realize it or not. It's just like, it's this insane sponge period of like the first decade at least. Um, and so I could see where like watching mom just crush it. And then I'm sure it was a very positive thing. You you, you would grow up thinking, well, I want to crush it. Like, <laughs> I yeah. want to be this. Did I mean, when you sort of had the beginning of what you were calling your transformation and sort of realizing maybe you were reevaluating your priorities... Was there a sort of like bittersweet, like maybe I don't want that exact same lifestyle? Like maybe I'm going to approach this from a different angle? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you brought this up because I think, you know, my work right now with my clients is is helping them through this period, which is when you realize everything you thought you wanted isn't what you wanted. And there's a slow grieving process that takes place from the moment you realize like this just isn't going to cut it for me. And then you, you eventually, you know, hopefully start actually taking action and aligning towards what you think will be more on your path. And then you go through this, this really crazy thing that I didn't anticipate and no one told me was going to happen, but I had a full on identity crisis when I left corporate because my entire identity was tied up in my title and in my salary and in my apartment and in the clothes that I wore. And when all of that was gone, I literally, you know, I had just moved to Mexico And I remember laying on the couch and just saying, who am I? Because I I honestly didn't know because I, in my corporate job, you know, I was a leader. I was a boss. I was a top performer. You know, I was all these things. And I had my salary that backed up my ego for it. 
And, you know, I had physical proof of my of my definition of success and in the way that I presented myself with clothes and my apartment. And when you take all that away, you you kind of are like, oh, my God, like, am I anything or anyone? And I wasn't prepared for that. And I I see this a lot with my clients when they start, you know, I call it untangling themselves from their corporate lives, because usually it's a slow, kind of a slower process. Um, And it's scary, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, my God, what do I do now? But to me, it's one of the most beautiful periods in my life, because it was where I actually was, was, you know, laying on that couch. And I said to myself, like, it's time to rebuild and it's time to find out who you really are without all of that ego driven stuff. And that's really, I think when like my real internal work began, when I was stripped away of everything that made me feel worthy. I think that's such a, it's such a relatable point in our lives. I think all of us, especially people in corporate but I think that's so scary because all of a sudden you realize you now have to like create a new reality. Like there's mm-hmm. no one you've given up that one. And so now you have to create, and that's just, God, that's scary. Cause like, yeah. what if you create the wrong reality or what if you have no idea what reality you want to create and then what, like, who are you? You're just lost floating in space. Right. And you know, it's, when you think about it, like basically we're kind of all just like cogs in this machine. If, you know, it's like we go to school, we're told where to go to school. We have a schedule that we follow every day. Like we go on spring break or, you know, we go on these holidays and then it's like, okay, we go to college maybe, or maybe we don't, maybe we enter the workforce. And then you're kind of in the same machine where it's like you get to work at nine and then like you go to meetings or you do what you need to do. And then it's like, okay, time to go home. And so you're on this like conveyor belt. And I think it really like rocks your world when you step off of that and you're like, wait a second, like I don't have to follow that system or I don't have to kind of just go through the motions. I can actually do whatever I want. But then, like you said, it's like, what do I do? And I think that's, it's like the most incredible, beautiful, and petrifying time. <laughs> that's a perfect way to put it. I think about this a lot in terms of probably a little bit too macro, but I think about like when the aliens finally come and they come to this planet, <laughs> like they have a perspective we don't have, right? Because like we are, are, this planet is all we have, but like they come down and they see all these creatures like running around doing things, but like. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but like we're pretty much only affecting what's happening on this planet, right? Like with the exception of some people working on space things, <laughs> most of the impact we're talking about here is just on this planet. And it's sometimes and there's great impact happening. I mean, there's people building great things and helping humanity. But if you talk about like the average like Dunder Mifflin, I don't know if you're an office fan, <laughs> but corporate job, like it's almost so silly when you look at it from that macro perspective of like, it's just something happening on this planet, like the greater scheme of things, how impactful is what we're doing every day? And like that, I don't know if that's like way too big. (laughs) No, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I think those are the type of questions that we need to ask ourselves. And it's like, for me, I think I was kind of like, you know, I was working in corporate education. And so it, 
I was I was actually doing something that was having an impact on on the future. Yeah. But I had to ask myself what type of impact will fulfill me in like the deepest part of myself. Not on an egoic level, not on, you know, the level of just wanting to be an, an achiever, but what is actually going to like nourish my soul? And I think if you can like start asking that question, you can start getting to a place where you're able to identify like why you were put on this earth. And when you're not operating from a place that's like so ego driven or, you know, salary driven or all of these things, you can start, you feel, you don't ask yourself like, oh, what, what difference does it make? Like, I'm not contributing, you know, we're just all here not making a difference because you feel in your soul, you're like, I am on my path. I think that's the shift. When you were in that corporate job, did you feel like you were exercising your strengths as like a person? Like, I think part of fulfillment comes from we're doing something that we're good at and we we generally enjoy what we're good at. Did you feel like you were exercising those strengths? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean... Not to toot my own horn, but I was incredible at my job. Like, it was just a known thing. And the reason was, is because I'm a really great leader. I'm a, I'm a leader of people. Like that is no matter what I do for the rest of my life, like I'm going to be leading people, whether it's through coaching or, you know, in, in other types of leadership opportunities. And that was what I did. You know, I built a team from the ground up and I led and I, you know, I motivated, I inspired and I, you know, held a vision for the team for what we were doing. And so, yeah, I was really good at it. And it, it, it fed a part of me that really wanted to be good. You know, I think at our root, like we all just want to be good. Like we mm-hmm. want to feel like we're good at something. And that was that part of me was definitely being satisfied. And this is the reason that so many of my clients come to me and say, I've been in my job for eight years and I've hated it. Or I've been in my job, you know, for the last four years and I've wanted to leave for the last three, but like, I'm so good at it. And everybody tells me I'm so good at it. And I don't know what else I would do. And it comes from, we need this we need the reassurance that like, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good, because we aren't giving that to ourselves. We don't believe that at our core. And so we're trying to find it in out, outside places. At what point in your life did you realize that you're a great leader? Like when did that just sort of sink in? You're like, wait a second, I'm, I'm amazing at this. That's such a good question. I mean, I feel like whenever there was any type of like, ropes course challenge or, you know, any type of, uh, like team activity, probably like starting in middle school, you know, I would just always be the one that was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, and I think a lot of that came honestly from watching my mom lead, you know, and, and seeing how she, how she led, you know, and my, my dad as well, um, in very different leadership styles, but, you know, it was definitely from a young age. And I keep, as we're talking, I keep, I was reminded of, you know, I started this jewelry company when I was probably in eighth grade. And 
I like had a business partner and, you know, like we were, we were having these trunk shows and making thousands and thousands of dollars selling jewelry. In eighth grade? Yeah. Wow. I mean, and I like would orchestrate the whole thing. Like we would have catering and like, you know, it was, it was like, yeah, I think maybe that was the moment where I was like, I like building things and I like, I like seeing the big picture and also making sure that like it happens on a a micro level. And so, um, you know, I just kind of remembered that it was called Coca Designs. My business partner's name was Betsy. (laughs) Um, we're still great friends, but you know, it was, um, yeah, I feel like maybe that was the moment when I was kind of like, got the, got the entrepreneurial bug where I was just like, okay, I like, I like doing it my way. What is it about leading? And yeah, I, actually, I don't want to, I don't want to leave the question here. What is it about <laughs> leading others that fulfills you? Like even in middle school until now, when you started deciding, oh, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to gather us together and, and help us get on the right path here. What was it about that, that fulfills you? Yeah. You know, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing that comes up for me is I'm just like fascinated by people. You know, my parents used to call me curious Claire because I just was always like, but why, why is that person like that? Or like, why is that person sad? And like, ding, 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 like signs of coaching at a young age were going (laughs) off. I obviously didn't put that together, but (laughs) you know, I, I just have always been like insatiably curious and so I think as a leader, that is something that that drives me is like, I, I love seeing like, seeing and antis- anticipating how people are going to kind of form and norm and storm in a group setting. I think that's really interesting. But also working one on one with my clients, like I find it really interesting just how people like show up or don't show up or how they how they are. Um, I think it's just like so fascinating and I've always just like had a knack for kind of being in tune with how people are feeling. And I think that is, that's like what I love most about, about leading. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's a part of me that loves, um, loves projects. So I love like, trying to think of a a more interesting word than projects, but I, (laughs) you know, I love, I love like starting something and finishing something. And it's kind of like the more people that are involved, the bigger the project can be. And so I think that's something that I've always really enjoyed also is, is bringing people together in that way. So sort of a feeling of a sense of accomplishment or achievement. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a, three Enneagram. And that is the, the achiever. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar. Are you, do you know your Enneagram? I do. This is, I'm, I'm smiling because this is the third episode of this podcast now where Enneagram has come up, including really? the episode where, yeah, Aubin Cassidy taught me about it and I took the test <laughs> she sent me. And now I need to have it in my notes from now on to reference it in case this comes up in interviews. Um, okay. I am a, oh, I forgot. I have my, I want to say I'm a four and an eight, but I don't remember I'm going to look it up. (laughs) Uh, uh, Look it up. But I don't think you're, well, I I don't know, but I don't think you're a three just based on your, your energy, because it's like this, um, 
yeah, it's like this constant, the achieving thing, you know? And so I think that part of me is, you know, that is just who I am. And so it's something that I'm aware of that I don't want to, you know, always feel the need to be achieving, 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 but it's always going to be part of me. And so I think, you know, a lot of leaders have that and, and resonate with that. It it blew me away when I took the the Enneagram test. How accurate it was! I, right? I looked it up here. I am a seven. That's my core number, and then my was it the wing or the auxiliary the number is is an eight. Um, okay. Which I forget. Oh, so so seven is joyful and eight is powerful. Oh, that's scary. Ooh, <laughs> that's a I like that. That's a good combo. But when I read the descriptions, because they on the test results they have a description for each of the of the numbers and kind of. When I read it, I was like, oh, that's that's me. Yeah. No, that's totally how I felt. But just to give you a sense of like how much of a three I am, I, I get the test results. I see the number three. I Google famous people who are threes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I scan the list. And I'm like, Oprah, okay, we're good. And then I go back and read the rest of the test. <laughs> oh, I love it. I This is, I can't. I'm just kind of like thinking in my head now, why does Enneagram keep popping up now in conversation? Is it because someone told me about it and it's like when you see a red Toyota or you buy a Toyota and you start seeing Toyotas on the yeah. road? Is it because I took the test now that all of a sudden it's coming up? But this is so funny that you mentioned Enneagram. <laughs> Wait, so you're a three, which is achievement. What's your wing one? I'm a four wing. And I actually don't remember. Oh, I actually the... have the, I have the oh, yeah, illustration. Have the, the key. Let's see, yeah. Yeah, I have a key right here. So four <laughs> is, oops, a four is original. Yeah. Was That means like original, like originality, like... like yeah, like um, creating. Creative. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are two to have, those are two numbers that probably go well together, a creator and an achiever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Um, speaking of, of numbers, I, I, maybe it was on your Instagram. You, you noted at some point that this year was the first year you actually wanted to celebrate your birthday as opposed to past years where maybe you weren't so excited. Why, Mm -hmm. why was this the year that you actually wanted to celebrate? I've always, so I, I just turned 33 in August. So happy birthday. Thank you. Like a month and a half ago. And my favorite number is three. There are three sisters in my family. And hang on, I, hang on, hang on. Is it the Enneagram have anything to do with that? Or is that coincidence oh, that your favorite number? That's coincidence. <laughs> okay. And I like literally just put that together. Yeah, I'm I didn't also, mean to... I swear, I just put that together. <laughs> <laughs> Since we just talked about that, the first thing that came to my head was, wait a second, she's a three Enneagram. Well, when I always say my favorite number is three, there's three sisters, and I never say, and I'm an Enneagram three, but I'm going to start adding that on. (laughs) (laughs) It goes on the resume now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, 33, I've just always felt is going to be like my my year. Like ever since I, in my mind, like I remember being, I remember being like 25 or 26 in New York, and I was like serial dating, trying to get married. Because I'm from the South and, you know, if you're not married by like 26, you're old eggs. And so (laughs) I was like on a a mission to find a husband. And in my mind, I just have always thought like 33 is going to be the the year that you like meet your partner or get married. 33 is just going to be like such a big year for you. 
And I think that was one of the reasons I was really excited. Um, is because I've just always had the, let's see, let's talk in a year and I'll report back and see, (laughs) (laughs) and see. Um, but so I think that's one of the reasons it's just like three, three is magic number for me. And then the other thing is this year has just been the most transformative in my entire life. You know, I, I fully stepped into my business, um, I'm literally living my life exactly how I want to live it. I live exactly where I want to live. Like I work exactly how much I want to work. Like I am living my life on my terms. And it's the first full year that I've actually done that. And so I think I just have so much more self-love and self-compassion and and just hope for the future that in the past, you know, it was kind of like another year where I didn't, didn't achieve it or, you know, another year gone by where I'm single or another year where, you know, I'm working, working in a corporate job. And it was like this year I was just for the first time, I think truly deeply like proud of how far I've come and where I am today. And and I'm just at peace with where I am right now for the first time. This is a year you're proud of. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) The sisters, are you the oldest by chance? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Did not see that coming. Really? Well, I mean, I don't know if they're going to listen to this, but some would say, (laughs) (laughs) some would say I'm the oldest, even though I'm the youngest, if Uh you know what I mean. (laughs) I see a a sibling rivalry here. I'm Thanksgiving's going to be awkward this year. Exactly. <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, and maybe this is just in my mind, but you know, I'm, I've kind of always been, I feel like I was 10 and then I was like 30 by the time I was 11, you know, like I was, I was all, I just kind of was like always very, uh, mature for my age and kind of always assumed this like leadership position, even in my family, like with my older sisters. Um, and so now, you know, like I'm the one who like coordinates the dinners and coordinates the holidays and kind of like does all of that. Um, but it's interesting because in the last couple of years, I've tried to kind of take a step back because I realized that that was a role that I put on myself at a very young age out of a desire to feel like, again, loved and worthy and accepted. And what I've realized is that my family loves me just as much, whether I'm stressing out about where the turkey is going to come from or I'm letting somebody else handle it. So I've been really playing with that lately. And like, like I didn't book the house for Christmas this year. I just was kind of like, I'm going to let someone else take care of that. And one of my sisters did. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think family roles are are really interesting. And it's, you know, the way that you show up and work is the often, you know, in parallel with the way you show up in your, in your family and in your relationships and in all aspects of your life. And so if you're like a really high achiever at work, oftentimes you're a really high achiever in your family. And so you're putting this pressure on yourself in all aspects of your life. And so as I've transformed out of this, you know, the MBF syndrome and really started slowing down and, and just kind of having different sources of, of gathering my, my worthiness. It's been 
it's affected every single area of my life, including, you know, my relationships with my sisters and, you know, things like that. So that's got to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I always say that whether, you know, typically I work with people who are like trying to make a big career change, but when you do this type of inner work, it affects every single area of your life. And so it's been really interesting for me to experience that firsthand. And, you know, just thinking about now, like the holidays, like I'm going to be very different than I was a year ago because I've, you know, made really transformational changes. Last spring, I had the opportunity to go on the very first solo trip I've ever done. I went down to the Florida Keys for a few days. It was fantastic. Wow. But one of the things I was most anxious about was eating alone uh, <gasps> anywhere oh at a restaurant at a bar. And I'll never forget when I got to my first, you know, I don't know if it was breakfast. It might have been brunch or something. But And I walked into the place, you know, the very first time I was going to have to do this. And I'll never forget. That was the most life-changing event, both the first time and then every time that trip. What was for you? So you've traveled a lot after your corporate Mm -hmm. job. You've had the opportunity to travel a lot. What was for you that first time eating in public by yourself like? It's so funny because I, so I don't remember this moment happening, but I have the, or I had the eating alone fear also. Like it's paralyzing. You don't want to go do things because you're like, I don't want to eat by myself. It feels so, so judged. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it definitely for sure was like some situation in the cafeteria where like someone, you know, I was sitting alone and no one wanted to sit with me or I was the new kid or whatever. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's funny because I, so I didn't, I didn't take a vacation for four years, uh, like a real vacation for four years during my stint in corporate. And eventually, you know, I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm going to go on a solo trip. And so I booked a trip to Thailand, which was like, everybody in my life was like, you're insane. What are you doing? And I was like, I just got to like do something extreme. <laughs> like I, yeah. I need to like shake it up because I just like feel so lost and so stuck. And like, maybe this will help me. And so I remember I landed in Bangkok, like super late at night. And I, for some reason was staying at this like Hello Kitty themed hotel. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish I had, I'm sure I have pictures, but it was like, everything was Hello Kitty. And I didn't know that when I got there and I was just like, this is kind of weird, but okay, whatever. My suitcase gets lost, of course. And so I'm like, I'm alone. I'm in Asia. Like, you know, I'm in a Hello Kitty themed hotel and I'm starving. (laughs) And so I went to sleep that night and I woke up at like 8am the next morning. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm so hungry. And I I was like, but what am I going to do? Like, I I don't want to eat street food. You know, I was like scared of, you know, getting sick and all these things. And so I stumbled on this uh, Italian restaurant. (laughs) And I was like, this is amazing. This looks good. I'll just get pizza. I won't get sick from that. And I have a picture on my phone and I have it saved as one of my favorite pictures actually, because it's just like beautiful. Like it actually was really good pizza. And I just remember sitting there, I'm in Bangkok and I'm eating this like pizza by myself. And I'm just like looking out onto the street. There's like this huge, crazy market across the street. And I just remember thinking like, I'm okay. Like I'm okay. I'm eating by myself and I'm okay. I'm eating pizza in Bangkok, but that's okay. And, you know, that was like 
honestly, I think the first meal I ever ate by myself and, you know, it, it got easier as I went, which I'm sure you experienced too. And now I like love eating by myself. I'm like the fewer people, the better. You know. <laughs> I was struck by the contrast or the, the enormous contrast between eating by yourself and eating with any other number of people. Mm-hmm. Like when you eat with, you know, one other person or you eat with five or six or seven other people, we never think about it. Like it's just normal life. But when you eat just by yourself in a bar or a restaurant, I was just blown away by how wildly different that experience is and how it's just all in your head. I mean, it's just, it drove me. I, and like you said, it got easier as I went along, but it was just this, you know, I guess I, I, you never think about an average, at least in, in America, an average restaurant or a bar, how it's really generally not set up for one person. Mm-hmm. There, the assumption is generally there's going to be at least two people. And so just the, the the mere act of saying, you know, luckily in Florida, I was able to just sit at the bar a lot, but the mere act of being like, oh, it's just me. It just right away feels like I'm, I'm not doing this right. Like there should be someone else with me. I, I'm but sorry. What, it's just me. But like, what is your fear? Like, what, is, what is the thing? Like, why, why was that like so weird or scary or uncomfortable for you? That's a great question. Probably because, well, A, I've never done it. I had never done it before. Yeah. So, so I think you. it's, yeah, it's this idea of, you know, God, what last spring I had just turned 34. So in 34 years, I had never eaten a meal alone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it was just the, this idea of like, you shouldn't be eating a meal alone. Like why? Why? Cause, cause I had never experienced that. And everyone I've ever seen has always eaten meals with people. Like very right. rarely do you come so across. So what did that say about you that you were alone? What did that say about me? Yeah. Well, I don't know. What did it say about me? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like for me, like I was like, I don't want people to think I'm like a weird loser who's oh. sitting alone, you know? Yes. Oh, exactly. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yes. I was very, yes. Yes. I was like, I remember, and I, there were two times I can vividly remember this. The one time it was a very small, like kind of homey restaurant that had a bar in the middle, very family, like run and very homey. Felt like you're in someone's house. Yeah. The second time um, that I'm remembering was in a, it had an inside bar and an outdoor patio in the back where it was me at one table, like picnic tables and maybe someone else. Both times, I think, and maybe the keys, maybe this is very common for people to come down there alone. Mm-hmm. But both times the servers, or in the first case, the person behind the bar, they knew what was going on. Now that we didn't say anything about it, but it was very clear, like the very first one, they they were talking to me and kind of like making it, same, same with the second one at the picnic table, they would come over. And like, it was very clear that I was a solo traveler and they were like kind of, you know, accommodating that. Um, but I think it's what you said. Like, I just felt like they were looking at me like, why is he alone? Like, right. you know, anytime you see someone alone, maybe that's what it is. Every time we see someone alone, you think, oh, Aww. that's so sad. They're alone. Why are they alone? Yeah. 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 So that was me. And that was you, right? Like, why are right. we alone? Like, we're in right. these beautiful places. Right. And we're all alone. No one to experience it with us. Right. That's what was going through my head. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, same. And I now what I know is that I was like afraid of being judged and people not thinking that like I was good enough or lovable enough to have people eating with me. 
There wasn't something wrong with me. I yeah. assure you that that's what I was thinking. There's don't worry. There's not. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. I'm here by choice. Yeah, yeah. But it's you know, I mean, I think that it's such a it's such a cultural thing also because you know, in in Europe or other countries, like it's I I feel like it's there's less of a stigma around eating alone. But man, that's been that's been something that uh, definitely like kept me from doing things in the past. And then you know, I remember. Uh, kind of breaking breaking my solo dining seal, if you will, and, <laughs> and it really opened up a whole new world. <laughs> Have you ever seen a movie in a movie theater alone? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I have <And> not. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked. I haven't, and I was actually just—I was telling somebody. I was like. During COVID, it's the perfect time to go to a movie by yourself. I would love to do that. The theaters aren't open. But I've never been to a movie by myself. And it's not that that I, I'm I I feel like because it's in the dark, this is weird, but because I'm in the dark, I feel like less judgment around going to a movie by yeah, myself. Totally. Especially with like a popcorn and a large soda. No one's gonna see that. <laughs> Um, but I have less, less fear around movie. It's just something I, I haven't done for some reason. I would agree. I think I would be more comfortable with it. I think it feels innately like a less social activity. Like eating is a very social activity, but it's not, I I wouldn't be, you know, embarrassed to tell you that I watched (laughs) a movie by myself in my apartment last night. Right. Like that's not that odd. It's a solo activity. Yeah. Like you don't need somebody to watch a movie. No. I mean, especially if you're in a movie theater. You you it, aren't talking anyway. No. There's no social aspect until right. the car ride home where you're talking about who liked it and who didn't. Right. And you can talk to yourself about that. Yeah. <laughs> so after you... Well, I guess it was your transition out of corporate. You found this remote work act, uh, opportunity, if I remember right. So you were able to like keep your corporate job at work remotely for a bit. Yeah. And you gave, I think it was like six months notice so that, and this is what I'm curious about. You gave the notice six months because you were there so long. You had such a great Mm -hmm. relationship. I imagine you wanted to like prepare the team. But from what I understand, you also gave that notice to make sure that you wouldn't get comfortable again and like Mm -hmm. stay in New York. Yeah. Why was there a risk here that you were going to get comfortable? And why were you afraid of that? Yeah, I mean, it's such a good question. And I remember, so I, I traveled for a little under a year and a half um, working remotely for my my corporate job. And within the first three months, I was pro- somewhere along the lines of being on that uh, boat in Thailand. I was just kind of like, I can never go back to the way it was. And so I knew that and I carried that truth with me for probably like three or four more months. I eventually hired my first coach and I remember she asked me, what do you want? And I said, I just want to be free. I don't want to go back to that desk. And she said, then don't go back. And I just remember thinking like, whoa, I do have a choice. You know, it was kind of like my first big realization And so I remember, you know, my goal for that, that period of coaching with her was to, was to put in my notice with my job because I was petrified because it meant that 
I actually had to start like putting in the work and laying the foundation of what was next versus just sitting in the misery and the, the stagnancy of just feeling like, well, I've got, you know, a a paycheck coming in and, you know, I'm like a top performer, you know, I'm, I'm safe and I can just like kind of keep traveling. Like it was, it was a good life. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I really had a, a good deal, but I knew that if I didn't, if I didn't like put that stake in the ground and I literally did this practice, I was in Peru and I went to the, the beach side there and I put a stake in the ground and I was like, I am not going to back down on this. Like I have, like I have this big, I didn't know what my vision was and I didn't know what my dream was, but I just knew that it was, if, if I went back to that corporate job and I went back to that desk and back to the kind of like working, you know, eight, 10 hours a day, maybe going to soul cycle, maybe going to happy hour, going home, sleeping, doing it all over again. I just knew it would crush me. And so, you know, I remember I was, I was in Buenos Aires and I was in a call booth and I told my boss, I was like, you know, I don't think that I want to, you know, come back in the same role that I'm in right now. And I, I very slowly untangled myself. I moved to a consulting role um, for about six months just to buy myself more time to really figure out what I wanted. And, you know, I think, yeah, I think that that was probably like the bravest decision that one of the bravest decisions that that I made in the last four or five years was actually having that conversation because it would have been so easy for me to just slide back into the old life that I had. I love that you use the word brave because I was just thinking, we've talked here. I mean, I think eating by yourself in public is an example of this, but you've (laughs) you've sat in this discomfort. You've put yourself, you've intentionally faced uncomfortable situations knowing you want to overcome them. And that's really hard. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, you know, it's brave is what it is. Where do you find the strength or the just the willpower to do that. I mean, it, not everyone will put themselves in an uncomfortable situation where they don't know how they're going to get past it, but they know they want to, and they know they want to figure it out no matter how uncomfortable mm-hmm. it is. Where do you find the strength to do that over and over again? You've done it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think I've done it. Um, I think I've found the strength because I've always had this knowing that I am meant to live this like epic, incredible, impactful life. I've always kind of, I've never been satisfied with the ordinary. And I think, you know, for a while I tried to lead what some would call kind of, you know, an ordinary life. Like I was working in corporate. I was trying to find a husband, husband shopping, as I call it. Um, called it. I don't, I don't husband shop anymore. Um, but you know, (laughs) you know, I was trying to kind of like recreate the life that I had grown up in, you know, like in like a very Southern traditional, uh, family. And at the same time, I just like have always had this knowing that like, I will never, I, I want more. And I think, when I decided to ask my company if I could work remotely and travel for a year, 
my goal was to figure out what that thing was. And what I learned is that we don't, it's not like we have, our purpose is not in a job, you know, like our purpose is not to be anything. Our purpose is, is to just continue to evolve into the most authentic expression of yourself, period. And so I think for me, when I started on the path of evolving into the more authentic expression of who I was, the bravery surfaced and the courage surfaced because I was like, I cannot sit here knowing that I have the capacity and the vision. I don't know what the heck the vision is, but I know that it's more and I can't sit here and not do anything about it. And so it was kind of like with every layer that I shed of, of this, you know, ego and identity that I had clung onto so tightly with every layer that I shed, I got a little bit braver and I got a little bit more courage and it was like, okay, I'm going to hire a coach. I'm going to make that investment in myself. That was like a big, brave act. Like, okay, I'm going to, you know, when I was in Colombia in Medellin, I was like, I've always wanted to be a travel TV host. I filmed a travel TV pilot, little bit braver once I did that. And then, you know, I put in my notice with my boss, a little bit braver. And it's like, you just keep taking steps. And sometimes the step is like to get out of bed that day. And sometimes the step is to quit your job, you know? And I think that it's, it, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier before we were recording. It's like, when you are, when you are in alignment with your truth, your life flows. And the reason that life feels so hard and so draining and we feel so depleted is because we're actually going against our truth. So when you're in alignment, like that bravery is so on the surface for you. It's so on top. And you're like, I can't not do what feels right for me because I'm going to be betraying myself. I'm going to be abandoning myself. I love how you phrase that betraying yourself. That's so, yes, I can relate to that. So all of this work you've done, all the inner work, I love how you say inner work for yourself over the past, I mean, year or two years. Now, what does more, better, and faster look like for you? <laughs> Ooh, I love that question. Uh, you know, it looks like the first word I thought of was easier. You know, one of my, my two top core values are freedom and ease. And so I think for me, more, better, faster looks like more freedom, more ease, more joy. Um, and it looks like more flow and more alignment. You know, I think it's, it's kind of like once you want, I've had this shift of like, I can actually work less and do less and more comes to me. And so I think for me, I'm the, the new, the, more, better, faster 2.0 is like the opposite of all of those. It's like easier, slower, more free, more joy, more play, because that's where, that's where your life is just, you just are, you know, you're on the ride and you're just like taking everything that's coming to you. And so I think for me, like that's where, that's the world that I want to live in, that I'm committed to live in and committed to helping other people live in. 
Claire, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I am so blown away and so excited about all of this. I just thank you so, so much. My pleasure. I've loved this. We could go on for hours. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.